Exponential Trust Times is the unique AI channel of trust that offers an innovative formula of mentoring at scale for youth people from all around the world. I'm Dr. Lobna Kari, Executive AI Strategy Growth Advisor and Digital Transformer for Fortune 500 and 440 for more than two decades and the President of AI Exponential Thinker. Exponential Business Achievers is the unique fair opportunity for global citizens to learn from business game changers about their business journey, their thoughts, and their vision in times of exponential technology. And in this episode, our guest is Nicola Lee, Global Director of Artificial Intelligence, Advanced Analytics, and Optimization Services at Fujitsu. I'm so happy to have you with us, Nicola. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's our pleasure. So thank you for being with us in AI Exponential Thinking and having this uh, authentic discussion that we will have during the, few, a few, the couple of minutes uh, and uh, with our audience. So we will address many topics, but before that, uh, we are curious about to, know, to learn more about your personal story. So back to 2003, you finished your degree in architecture from Texas University to find yourself a couple of years later uh, as a senior global director services at Fujitsu, uh, running a business portfolio of hundreds of headcounts for different industry. So let us know a little bit about how you end up in such role and what are the magic moments of such incredible journeys? That's a good question. Um... So I'll start with kind of the magic moments first. And um, I think for me, it's, uh, if I look over the last couple of years, uh, last decade, uh, almost two decades now, uh, the magic moments have been really when I've taken a leap of faith, um, as well as when people have, have taken a leap of faith on me. So I've always embraced uh, change. And you might see it, the fact that I was a, a degree in architecture, but ended up in technology. Um, and I've always moved away from, from complacency. So whether that's personal complacency or professional complacency. Um, and I feel like adversity is where you learn the most and you grow the most as a person. And, you know, really the experiences that, that I've learned is really what has set up, set me apart in, in some of these uh, opportunities uh, or some of these roles and has really helped give me the, the confidence to become uh, ultimately a leader. Um, you know, the more I accomplished, uh, the more confident I became, the more confident I became, the better I was able to lead. And so, you know, I didn't always get it right. Um, Many a times, uh, I've failed a, long, a lot of times and learned from those failures. Um, but you can always fall back on your experiences um, to help guide you. Um, how I got into technology, um, I, when I started out of uh, uh, out of Texas A&M, uh, mm -hmm. at that time, I was during the downturn of the, of the, the market. And so I actually I took a job uh, with a degree at uh, basically no, no pay. And part of that was just to get experience into the industry. Um, and it was, you know, someone that I had met that ended up taking a leap of faith on me that uh, brought me into a, a large technology company at Alcatel. And uh, it just so happened that that person was formerly a, a professor at Purdue for program management and uh, ended up um, putting me into a software engineering role and, um, and ended up within the first couple of weeks, put me into a program management uh, type of role and, um, and has really supported me, gave me a great level of visibility into a lot of key executives, things like at AT&T with Randall Stevens and Ed Whitaker and, and uh, Telmex with uh, Jaime Chico. So I got a lot of exposure to the executives and was able to really understand how a broad, um, you know, successful technology business ran. And um, it was the first project I, I started on that was really deep, deep tech or emerging tech. 
and it ended up being what we have today, which is IPTV, which is technology that runs over fiber optics. So that project was uh, almost eight, 18 years ago that I started on and that technology still exists today. Impressive. So this is, uh, let's say, a, a very nice journey, right? Now let's focus on your current role uh, and what are the main targets and challenges that you, are, you can share with us today and with our audience? Yeah, so in my current role, I'm a global director for AI, um, also what we call quantum-inspired computing. So quantum is a very big uh, buzzword right now, <clears throat> but rightfully so, there's a lot of opportunity in, in the future of quantum computing. Also, I work on things like supercomputers. Uh, Fujitsu has uh, the world's fastest supercomputer called Fukuku. Um, and so I have a lot of access to some of the world's greatest technology. Uh, but my role now is really around two primary objectives. One is building out disruptive solutions that are into the market. So I look at um, leading that from a, a kind of a use case or customer business problem orientation perspective, um, but pulling through our deep tech or emerging technologies. And the second um, kind of primary objective is leading through a digital transformation. So it's more of a consultative business innovation approach. Uh, we're essentially a catalyst um, in this second uh, objective in terms of new digital-based businesses for our company. So we're less, I'm less oriented in the last two years to revenue or margin, which is a, really a nice place to be because you can exercise your creativity in terms of business innovation. But it's more about, we wanna find the next disruptive solution or we want to work with our customers and help provide that consultative approach that's gonna let them achieve the next level of uh, business innovation. I will come back to the to the part of disruptive uh, and to know more about uh, what are, what are your advices in order to encourage the customers and and and, and your your collaborators as well to be creative and and, and curious uh, and work in this uh, in this exponential times uh, mm -hmm. era. But before that, uh, we are curious about uh, the business part of your career and especially the skills. Uh, so back to 2014, you were appointed as Senior Global Director Services at Fujitsu and lead an international team across more than seven countries from US, Japan, UK and more with great collective achievement generating hundreds of millions of revenue and training thousands of sales and pre-sales collaborators. And I want to come back to the two points. We are curious to learn more about this incredible experience, but also what keeps you enthusiastic on a daily basis, uh, training people and sales particularly, I think uh, it's it's a tough work, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough world, but it's a, it's a rewarding business. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's a good question. Like, what is my motivation? Essentially, I boil it down to motivations. There's, there's things that I'm motivated when I see, you know, an employee that uh, gets promoted or that finds out they have a new skill or that after we've, uh, they might have left uh, a specific organization that I have, but they've been gone into another role and uh, they've been able to, to really excel. So I, I find a lot of motivations in seeing um, others succeed. Um, but it really comes down to a couple of things. One is, I think when it comes to challenges and failures, for me, it's about overcoming those obstacles. And, and to me, that's very rewarding. It's leading through that adversity and, and being able to uh, to work through some of those complexities. And when people have a great series of doubts or are, are, are negatively looking at a situation, it's about finding the, the, um, the silver lining and be able to see through that into a successful um, delivery. And then from really from a building and achieving success perspective, so with the, the revenue or the new clients or the, the margin, I mean, that's just rewarding in itself. It's an accomplishment. 
Um, so those are also motivations. And then I always look at the fear of, of falling behind. Um, and so this is something that has kind of, I, I, I characterize it as like this big wave of, of fear of, you know, the competition, right? Or, or just in general, it's some sort of, um, it's a fear of failure. And, um, and I think that always keeps me in terms of a constant reflection space. So it, it's, it's about reflecting, it's about incentivizing yourself through rewarding, and it's about leading through some of these adverse situations. To me, that's what, what has motivated me. Um, I think when it comes to, you know, the progression of my careers in terms of, you know, managing uh, across several different companies and continents, you know, all of that has been an iterative step. It doesn't come overnight. Uh, it went from managing in North America and running a, a P&L in the U.S. and then managing in Canada and then moving outside of my comfort zone to running a global product around virtualization and mobility. And so I wanted to get that global experience. Um, and then moving into working in our headquarter function, which is in Japan, really yeah. to understand the, the culture there. So it's 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 a constant kind of uh, uh, constant set of drivers that have really helped um, you know keep me enthusiastically involved on a daily basis. Uh, impressive. Uh, and, and since you move from one country uh, to another, I, I guess that you learn too much about. Uh, human and people and customers and what they are looking for according to their culture, to their expectation, whatever, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We, we in fact, I led a cultural training um, work stream. Um, I found that there was differences in terms of the culture, even cultures within Asia and in North America. And it wasn't just training people in North America to learn how, about the Asia culture. It was a it was a, a dual kind of training program where we learned about each other. Um, and so culture is, is definitely very important. Um, it's something that surprised me early on is that there's different work styles. There's different, there's Nimiwashi in Japan. So US, North America, more Western based uh, companies. It's, it's more about, um, you know, more aggressive kind of delivery. So in execution. So it's, it's very important to learn about the different drivers, what motivates people in these different cultures. And, and, and incorporate those uh... Uh, value and and methods and 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 and, and drivers as you said in in the business uh, answer as well right absolutely yeah it's so, um yeah, yeah. Uh, so from a business experience of almost two decades what is your advice for uh, global citizens who are looking today to be entrepreneur or join the sales workforce and what are the main skills and key of success in such in such journey from your perspective yeah i think um a lot of times when I see someone that wants to be entrepreneurial, they, they, they come up with an idea and then they quickly run into like starting to execute. And a lot of those ideas, uh, what, I, what I mentor people on is really understanding the problem. Um, and so with that, it's, you know, really going deep into understanding what you're trying to solve, you know, talk to as many people as you can, whether that not just be Really understand what what are the motivations around that problem. Often, when we go into a, a customer environment, we might walk in with uh, one set of use cases or problems that we think or the customer wants to hear, uh, based on their industry focus, and we end up walking away with a completely different problem. Um, and so, if you spend all your time developing a, a solution or trying to build a business around a problem that you think is a good idea, oftentimes when it when you interface with the buyer or the consumer or the customer. Um, you can learn a lot and you might end up changing the way that, um, that you act. And I'd say that 
even within corporate workforces um, that they're shifting really towards, you know, we're looking for entrepreneurs. And um, so I encourage people like start a business. You know, if you're in the, if you're in a corporate world, start a side business and, uh, and use that learning um, and, and those challenges that you go through in those phases um, that will provide you, you know, a greater level of clarity and in, in the corporate setting and corporate values, people that understand the full end to end business experience. So to me, I would say start a business, um, but obviously understand the problem first, get that experience. And um, if it fails, you know, start another business or continue to, to evolve it as a professional. And what are your advices to handle, I mean, the, the, the stress, but also the ability of sales? I mean, uh, do, you, do you think that every entrepreneur need to have those skills uh, particularly or, or not? Uh, the sales skills, um, you know, I, I think the communi communication is what's important. Um, being able to think quickly on, on, your, on your feet is important. Um, so it's, it's communication, it's empathy, it's comprehension. So a lot of those traits are sales oriented, but in our organization and, and as the technology and, and as business evolves, you know, everyone becomes kind of a sales channel to the market. And so I think everyone needs to kind of play their role and understand how to communicate and how to build empathy. And if, it, if you're not in this direct selling role, at least it's going to help you operate better from an organizational perspective. You're right. It's about empathy and, and about communication. And, and I think it's also about uh, learning uh, more and more about the customer expectation and exactly. be the more close to those uh, expectations to, to answer, answer to, the, to their request uh, and their needs for sure. So I, um, we will go more now in the part of AI. Now you are mm -hmm. running uh, a business and uh, a huge uh, potential around artificial intelligence and optimization services. And my point is, uh, what's your perspective of the role of technology such as robot, AI, virtual reality, and other to improve business activity today? Yeah, okay. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, no doubt AI is having a profound uh, impact on reshaping of society and business. Uh, and then also with COVID, we've seen uh, an acceleration in terms of some of the deep tech or emerging tech like robotics True. or AI or virtual reality or blockchain or a number of other technologies. We've seen that kind of needle move in terms of adoption uh, two to three years just over the last um, you know, six to nine months. So I've always worked in, in deep tech and emerging tech space. Um, there's always these hype cycles, which is where everyone talks about uh, the technology. And then there's this big debate as to whether the technology is as good as it, as it really is. Uh, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> the technology ends up pursuing uh, through in terms of customer engagements or business problems. And, uh, you know, I started with mobility, um, I then worked into cloud, then worked, in, worked into AI and machine learning, and now working in supercomputing and quantum. So at the end of the day, all of these technologies um, have the capability to deliver a significant benefit um, to society. And I think it's just being realistic about those technologies. Um, and, um, you know, things that we're doing today um, like if I look at how that technology is impacting society today, we're using the supercomputer for example, COVID-19 droplet simulation. Mm -hmm. And we were able to, you know, put some facts because you, when you simulate the environment, because you now have these supercomputing um, workforces, uh, when, you, when you simulate the, you know, COVID-19 droplets, we can now prove from a more factual basis that, you know, wearing one mask is just as good as wearing two masks. So you can start doing 
like putting these challenges that were conflicted in society with a mass amount of information, you're able to start simulating those worlds through computers and you're able to start making better informed decisions about, um, about the decisions that you're taking. Uh, we're seeing things in terms of new drugs, uh, cancer treatments that we're developing. We just had a, a press release that came out last week uh, about gamma ray knife. So we can now optimize how cancer tumors are treated and they're all different shapes. And so that typically requires a physician a great amount of time to retool and figure out you know, where to send that uh, gamma ray. But now with some of the more faster compute and optimization technologies, you can do that as you're doing the actual surgery. Um, things like climate change, like simulating climate change, change or predicting hurricanes and earthquakes. So we now have an enormous amount of data. And so through these new technologies, you can, can um, be able to detect those a little easier. And then more basic problems like traffic, how do we reduce traffic and vehicle routing? Those are complex problems, but with advancements in technology, we can solve those problems today. Um, employee satisfaction you know, is another big one. How do you create a more inclusive workforce? Um, so we're working on solutions in that space. And I could go on and on and on, but um, I think technology has a profound impact. I think uh, don't focus on just the hype cycle. Um, look beyond the hype cycle of how this technology will, will have an impact in the future once it's implemented. Um, I like the examples that you, uh, it's practical example and concrete ones that can uh, uh, um, facilitate the comprehension of our listener about the impact of AI and technology in general in, in a daily basis. Uh, and in order to solve a lot of uh, issues that unfortunately we are living or uh, some business opportunity as well and huge opportunity for sure. So now let's talk about digital transformation. I think all the corporate company for a couple of years, at least for the five years, are working more and more on this part, uh, on this scope. Now, uh, not only to reduce cost, but also to increase revenue. And we need to say it again and again, it's much more about revenue and having this productivity, right? And, and, and this efficiency uh, in, in, the, in the workplace. Now, the question is, what are your advices and how company can accelerate this digital transformation and, and build new successful services? And I wanna come back to the part of disruptive because you talked about before and how you can encourage them to be more disruptive in, in some way for their businesses. That's a good question as well. Um, and you know, it's a good question because we're at Fujitsu, we're, we just came out in the past I would say a year and a half talking about that our aspirations are to become a digital transformation company. And we stood up a, a separate company called Ridgelines in Japan, specifically oriented towards digital transformation business. Um, and we've I've also worked with a lot of customers that do digital transformation very well. Um, and then I've seen customers that still lack in terms of some of that maturity. Um, yeah. I think the biggest thing is that you cannot run a digital transformation business in a legacy business type of model. So there's unrealistic expectations. Um, there's a lack of understanding. Um, there's artificial timelines and outcomes. Like for example, they might measure you on a quarterly basis in terms of returns. Whereas a digital-based business can take you know, a year, two years to start something. And then to be able to scale that from a proof of value into an MVP and to an ongoing service, it takes a lot of patience. But once you do grow that business, then it has a huge potential. And so if you try and create a digital transformation business, you need a new model, a new business model or an iterative business model within your organization that allows you to fail, allows you to move quicker in terms of making faster decisions, allows you to experiment with different technologies, you know, it allows you to learn along the way. Uh, the team that I'm part of over the last two years, 
uh, we've had kind of that autonomy to be able to learn and experience and we've gone through that journey together and so that's created a very strong culture within this small team that we operate uh, and we've been able to generate some really interesting products and services that have come out of that based on on that journey that we've been on together um, the best dx and dig, you know digital businesses um, have innovation labs or separate innovation hubs so a lot of the customers that i talk to that are more advanced you know they'll have an innovation team or innovation lab so they understand mm -hmm. the, function, the function of being able to separate that and it gives the time for the team to breathe that gives patience to the process um, and i would say that in these digital businesses the way that we structure is that we focus on higher innovation risk higher expected returns so it's not you know low returns high risk or low um low innovation high risk right so we focus on the high risk and the high returns and then once we're successful in those businesses we allow the traditional side of our business to exploit that so we allow them to take those products and services and they can transfer that into an ongoing service model beyond the mvp and the initial service setup so that's how I would I would say is is kind of my experience in terms of digital transformation. It's it's very difficult. Um, it takes patience, but um, a right organization structure will definitely help. I I, I definitely agree. And from from my experience, whether in in Europe but also in uh, with Fortune 500 in in United States, that today digital transformation is it's uh, something that it's not that much easy. Uh, to 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 work through it in a large organization, not in a small organization, but in a large organization, because it's it's more about human as well. And we need to say it. It's not only about technology, but it's also right. about the human. What do you think about this? Yeah, in fact, we uh, are the way that uh, we have a um, under Fujitsu, we have kind of a, a mission or objective, and it's about human centric innovation. And we've had that for over a decade. And um, I've always felt strongly about that because it's about putting humans at the center uh, of everything that you do, building businesses around that consumer uh, experience. And uh, so it, it was it was relevant 10 years ago. It's still relevant today yeah. for our company. Um, everything we do is human oriented, human centric. Great. Um, you speak. You talk also about curiosity and creativity, and probably we will come back in the section about mentoring. So now we have an innovative uh, concept uh, named Chair the Stage. Uh, within it, uh, we open it uh, for two questions coming from the audience, and so we received it before. So the first question is coming from Nathaniel. He has 44 years, and he asked. From your perspective as a business game changer, how AI is supporting the sales workforce? And is it possible that this area of negotiation and persuasion can be took by intelligence machines one day? Yeah. So, you know, sentiment analysis has actually been done, uh, is done today. Um, we actually utilize that today. You have like call center functions that analyze a customer's voice. Um, or determine the best course of action based on um, the tone of their tone of their voice. Um, you know, angry customers customers um, you know typically will get a different set of recommendations. There might be more risk mediate remediation. Um, there could be different contextual situations that you provide to an angry customer or different offerings or options. Um, whereas a more positive customer, maybe they have some different alternatives. Um, but we're also deploying similar based AI based for mental illness detection. So, and this can be detest, detected based on uh, facial tone movement, and that can all be analyzed uh, to support uh, a specific business objective. So there's no reason that that can't similarly be correlated into a, into a sales function 
or negotiation phase or persuasion phase. I would also say that look at things like nudge theory. So even if you can analyze uh, the the person's sentiment, there's also an opportunity in terms of um, in terms of influencing the decisions that they take uh, going forward. So the, the, the answer just because you clarify in, in many examples with many examples, but the, the, the answers today is much more about uh, don't worry about uh, all the scope of uh, of of uh, persuasion and negotiation that would not be at least for the common five years <laughs> taken by took by uh, machines. I'm trying Perhaps. to take, you know, to be the advocate of Nathaniel in order to know yeah. more about it's, what you think. Yeah, it, it'll definitely help. It's, you know, at the end of the day, the human is at the center of the decision factor as well, not just the, the way services are created. Um, and so it'll give you clues. It'll give you recommendations. It'll help you in the negotiation process or the persuasion process. But it's ultimately on the human to act um, as to how they utilize that information in a sales process, as an example. Great. The second question is coming from Leticia. She has 29 years and she's from Finland. Uh, so she asked, from a mom perspective, I'm wondering about digital everywhere for vulnerable people like children and youth people. Uh, do you have any concerns about this new way of living in bubbles via social media and entertainment platforms? Yeah, um, I often think about kind of pros and cons of technology. Um, being a father myself, I have a three-year-old son and a eight-year-old daughter, I would say I'm on the extreme for technology adoption in the home. So smart homes, iPads, smart TVs, smart lighting, robotic mowers, robotic vacuums. So I, I choose the lifestyle of adopting uh, smart and digital lifestyles um, with a great responsibility, though, as a parent. You know, you have to be aware of the technology reach and the limits of your children. You know, you need to monitor proactively. Um, you need to track the usage and the sites and restrict apps and pop-ups and mitigate malicious software. So there's a, a great deal of, of responsibility and effort that's required if you're going to enable a, a digital or a technology-centric kind of lifestyle. Um, you know, if you enable this <clears throat> within your home environment, it's not as simple as just putting a device in the hands of your kids because <clears throat> that gives you some space or silence. So that's doing a lot of harm for them. Um, and so you really have to measure the benefits, you know, in terms of um, there's things like remote learning, unlimited learning, access to completely new worlds of information and tools. So there's pros and cons with all, but it, it comes with a great level of responsibility as a parent. And to do that, you know, not everyone has the same degree of technology understanding. So it, it definitely helps me to understand, uh, you know, how to put those kind of policies in place. But, um, you know, if you don't know, there's some great resources out there that can help you if, if you do want to use technology. And uh, obviously there's two different views, you know, of it, um, but uh, I've embraced it. I just balance it, I limit it. Everything's I believe is good in terms of some level of moderation. So, so the idea is to find a balance other, and keep the eyes uh, and find the right points where you wanna invest more with your kids and, and, and your people about with technology and embrace it. And also find the, the part where, we need to embrace more the natures and the physical environment, right? Um, yeah. So the idea is find the balance, right? Right. It's easy just to give someone technology and, and uh, you know, now the kids are quiet and sitting at the table. No. And that's it. <laughs> but, but you have to also, you know, restrict the usage and how much screen time they get. And just like we as individuals need to do the same as parents, right? It's not healthy just to constantly be on your phone um, or 
watching TV. So it, it's all about balance, all about moderation. True. So um, thank you for our uh, two members from the audience for these uh, valuable questions. And now we move to another section in this episode, named as a mentor. So um, in AI Exponential Thinker, we believe that creativity and critical thinking are crucial skills for solving complex problems mm -hmm. and offering the best experience for customers and users. And you explain a little bit examples in, in this way uh, as well, uh, Nicola. But as a mentor now, what are your advices and tips for young people to gain the best opportunity in the future? Yeah, um, so I think there's two main focuses. One is um, on the creativity side, <clears throat> you know, through like design thinking and through maker spaces. So there's great avenues that that um, younger people can tap into uh, to tap into their creative side. I think understanding and kind of exploring that space is, is crucial to the future of how we develop uh, business and business innovation. Um, I previously had the accountability for our co-creation and, and maker spaces in Tokyo and Osaka. And uh, we oriented those facilities towards engineers and um, we brought in partners and competitors and uh, we provided a neutral space for their creativity and, and exercising that creativity was key. But as part of that, we also visited some local maker spaces where you know, students would come in and build things. And it's quite remarkable to see the level of creativity that exists in the younger generation today. And so yeah. I would say focus on creativity. The second thing is, I would say is, is critical thinking. Um, and so that's not a lot of people do that enough, uh, I would say. Um, so pick a problem and go deep into that problem. Uh, or pick an area that you really want to understand and go deep. So you can use things like business model canvases. You can develop hypotheses around your ideas. You can test your ideas with, with talking to different people. But the critical thinking part helps you kind of extend the learning process and understand that when you get into a situation where it might be problematic or challenging, that you can fall back on those kinds of critical thinking skills to help you find to make the best decisions possible. And now, do you have any any quote that uh, you would like to share with with our audience today? Yeah, actually, I've been doing a lot of reading. <clears throat> so there's one person that uh, I really enjoyed. Um, it's Dr. Alex Osterwalder. Um, he's one of the most influential um, experts in terms of strategy and innovation. So if you haven't seen, he's got a ton of books that are out there that um, have some really good content. And also, they have some really good tools that you can utilize. Um, so I highly recommend um, you know, looking at, um, you know, some of his work, but the quote that he had said that I often really like to talk to my team about is that dream jobs, um, are more often created than found. So they're rarely attainable through conventional searches. So creating a dream job is one that requires strong self-knowledge. So it's a lot of, you really need to self-reflect a lot on your journey and where you're going, what your purpose is. Um, uh, but to come up with that dream job, the job that I've worked into, which is really my dream job, has been something that's happened over time. And it's um, it's been through something I, that um, has just been through perseverance and hard work and being at the right place at the right time within a great company. Since you talk about uh, how you advise also your team, yeah, one of the questions that comes to my mind, and it's uh, obviously in our episode, we have always spontaneous questions, right? Because mm -hmm. it's conversation. So my questions, uh, one of the questions, spontaneous one, uh, that um, from your experience working with sales and, and in business particularly, do you think that it's more about education to have the right, I mean, the most performance 
person working in sales and in business, or is it about other facts, uh, additionally, maybe or not? Yeah, <clears throat> you know, the it, it's not all about education for every single role. <clears throat> you know, having a, a PhD is definitely in certain types of roles is really strong and is really helpful. So it's about how do you marry up the right people? So on the sales side, experience is, is usually what matters, being able to relate to the customer, being able to understand the technology quickly. Um, but when it comes to like our operations research science or data science, having this, a strong you know, background in, you know, in data science, a PhD level definitely has been very, very helpful and, and customers appreciate that. So it's gotta be a balance between the team. It depends on what kind of role you're taking. Um, sometimes, um, you know, just getting out and getting that experience um, can be good. Um, I, when I hire someone, I, I look at their background in terms of like their education, but more importantly, I look at their experience. So if they've been, you know, someone that's younger, that's done, um, has done a lot of um, in, interim, uh, you know, kind of assignments at, at you know, like summer, summer assignments at uh, larger companies. Um, to me, that's good experience that you can't get in education. Uh, someone that comes working, you know, five or six years, in a large company or even a startup company. That's the kind of experience that I look at. Someone that started their own business, that's the kind of experience that I would consider. Um, so it just depends on, on, again, the kind of roles, but both are important, but different for each type of role that you'll bring in. Great advice. Uh, so now we approach the end of, uh, of our episode, but we will uh, stop in, in one of the main uh, topics that uh, occupy people in, around the world, it's sustainable future. And we are all, uh, you know, especially in, after COVID-19, especially we are always in COVID-19, unfortunately. So everyone is thinking about this future and how we can build a sustainable future. From your experience, especially from your vision, because it's much more about future, how looks the future of work? Yeah, so the word and the word sustainability can be used, I guess, in many contexts. <clears throat> so there's a sustainable society, which is what, what we talk about quite a bit. Um, you know, you have sustainable business, um, sustainable development goals, sustainable environments. So to me, it's all about balancing um, and the continuity of value creation. Uh, my vision, you know, kind of the future of work is that companies will orient towards a, really a clearer purpose and commitment to building a sustainable society. Um, so I find more and more companies are starting to do that now where they find a clear purpose, one in which you know, everyone is included and where we build businesses that while they're delivering profits, they're equally uplifting the community that supports them. Um, and in Japan, you know, I've had the privilege of being at, in a Japanese company for 14 years. And so they do this very well, in my opinion. Uh, one of the reasons I've stayed at, at uh, Fujitsu for 14 years is that uh, it's just the fact of that most Japanese companies believe in the employee journey, you know, over time. And this is a sort of sustainability. Um, so it just depends on what kind of sustainability, but, you know, they focus on longer term horizon over shorter term quarters. And I believe that, you know, whether it's sustainable business, sustainable environments or sustainable development goals, they're all equally important to a, a sustainable society. Great. And can you share with us three skills needed for the future of work 2025? We start talking about a little bit, but uh, maybe you have others as well. Yeah, um, consulting skills, I think, are <clears throat> very important. As I mentioned before, I think creative thinking is equally as important. And then, uh, you know, every technology or every business is embracing technology. So you need to have experience with technology. Um, all of these skills are oriented towards kind of that consumer transformation, consumer experience basis. Um, and the directive 
of many businesses are focusing towards. So again, putting humans at the center um, and defining how their businesses run is, is essentially key. But um, those three skills will, will help you enable that consumer experience and, and help really build your organization with understanding humans at the center. So since we talk about skills, we will move to the education. Uh, since we want to learn where we can have those skills as well, not only from experience, but maybe from education systems. So how looks the future of education? You know, I, I do a lot of work in personalized medicine. Um, so I think the, the future of education is similar to personalized medicine, personalized learning. Everyone learns, you know, differently. Um, and, um, you know, they all have different ways of learning, whether they're a fidget learner or a book learner. Uh, but learning is also not static. I think learning is continuous and you see a lot more uh, innovation and technology in terms of continuous learning process. Um, and so, you know, I feel like if you stop learning, you'll fail to really retain yet longer term knowledge um, and also see an extension in terms of remote learning. Um, so I think the, the, the whole education sector will definitely go under a broad transformation. I think the key theme is how do we build more personalized learning programs that support the individual, again, the human at the center. And let me go a little bit deep since you said that you, you work and I'm sure that you, you think a lot as a parent as well about the education, right? So mm -hmm. if we think we focus on the age of K to 12, do you have like some insight from your personal experience for sure and vision about uh, if we are living in an education system that is updated or not, is aligned with this future or not, uh, now it's much more about uh, my concerns about my kids as well, but also the young people in AI exponential thinker. Yeah, I mean, um, actually, I just you know ended up moving. Um, I sold my house in, in January. The reason that I moved was for the education system. So, um, and and really every education system, every school, uh, at least in the U.S., has a kind of a different philosophy. And yeah. so I, I chose to move to a place that I felt best aligned to the philosophy and the learning style of, of my kids. So. Um, right now, I think that's the way that, that people are, are adjusting is finding the school that fits them if, they have, if they're fortunate to be able to do that. Um, but I, I eventually feel like the, the, the more that this becomes aware and more that people start learning about it, there's going to be more online tools and ways to help, whether you're dyslexic or ADD, like how, how do you, can, can you help those type of learning disabilities? How can you enable those, you know, through different ways of learning? And um, I feel like technology has a, a very important role to play in that. Great. So at the end of this uh, authentic discussion, Nicola, we we want to end up in, in, in a, to know more about you, but from the authentic part. And uh, we are curious to learn about your biggest achievement so far and the vision that you have for your next dream that you would love maybe one day achieve, hopefully for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> my biggest achievement, uh, I would say personally, was be starting a family, right? That's a big achievement but for most people. But uh, professionally, I would say, uh, you know, I really look back at when I started from ground zero with um, within delivering in North America. It was a traditional infrastructure business, but I started from zero and I grew up to 300 uh, employees over a five-year span. And it wasn't really the revenue or the margin achievement that is what was the biggest accomplishment. It was the ability to organically promote people and from within and to kind of conceive those, those employees continue to grow long after I moved into a different business focus. So to me, that's what I enjoy the most. It kind of relates to my architecture days of building something and enjoying something once it's built and kind of seeing it grow. And so I enjoy the same in terms of organically, in terms of how an organization shapes. 
Um, in terms of where I, I would like to be in, in the future, um, obviously there's there's an opportunity that uh, I'd love to eventually start my own business. Uh, I, I do it every day. I start new businesses inside a corporate world, uh, but one day I'd like to do that externally. Um, and I've, I've started businesses in the past when I was younger, and that's how I gained some experience. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, when I look to retire, I look to kind of run my own business and uh, and hopefully be able to help customers find new value in terms of uh, working with my company and, and working to find that level of innovation that they need to uh, differentiate their business. So the idea is again, and one more time, serve people and serve customers in another way, let's say, but uh, in this spec, a scope of exponential technology era, right? That's exactly right. Great. Thank you very much, Nicola, to be with us. Uh, uh, it was my pleasure to have you today with us and listen to all your advices and, and great experience in business, uh, as great. you said, for more than two decades. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to meet everyone. With more than 50,000 young people empowered in time of pandemic and uncertainty, we are grateful to our remarkable guests with exponential experiences and from great organizations such as Amazon, World Economic Forum, Harvard, Google, Berkeley, and more. Thank you to our great audience and keep tuned for this new episode in the unique AI channel of trust by AI Exponential Thinker.